Welcome to Melanated Diaries, where your week isn't complete unless we've got you all the way together. A podcast that brings seriousness, love, light, and compassion to topics that impact marginalized communities. Auntie, come sit in this space with us, breathe, focus, and exhale as we embark on this journey of melanated related conversation. So what's up, everyone? This is Jeremy J. Edmondson and Dr. C.I. Welcome to Melanated Diaries, where we love to get you all the way together and where we talk about topics of oppression, discrimination, uh, marginalized groups, and being Black in America. That's right. What's that shit like? Period. Oh, what is it like? Oh, girl. Just, <laughs> talk all about it on every episode in different for different reasons, y'all. Right, right, right. So I know that y'all listened to last week's, and this is part two. We're talking about working in white spaces, predominantly white spaces, uh, through work and education. So I'll start that off. I am an educator in dance at a university here in Las Cruz, New Mexico, New Mexico State University. And what I find interesting is because it is predominantly Hispanic in this area, that sometimes that group can identify as white from what I'm learning. Some people say like white, non-Hispanic and whatever that means. And I notice that they do take on the culture of whiteness. And when I speak up about blackness, Sometimes I look at people and I'm like, well, I thought they were Hispanic. They still give me looks. And I'm like, so am I in, still in predominantly white space because white space is seen as the norm? Or am I in a white space because I'm around predominantly white people? So that's mm-hmm. what I'm, that's what I am bouncing back and forth. And tell our viewers, our listeners, what do you mean when you say white culture and white spaces? Like, talk more about what that means. I am literally talking about white bodies or people who identify as being white and what they see as how I should act and what I should speak on. And when I say predominantly white space, physical realm, like I say, being around white bodies. And that usually happens when I travel in other places. So I am the only person of color, that's the term you want to use, or only black person in that space. But I also mean also holding the space, maybe more in a, I don't want to say spiritual aspect, in the non-physical world is that I have to act a certain way because it's still held up. that space is still held to a white stand. Okay, and what's a, what's a white standard? Let's see, the way I talk, right? So I, Cheryl, you're talking to get in today? Okay, no, <laughs> but um, how I talk, like I code switch super hard when I go, when I go to university, I code switch like no, no other. So I'll make sure I enunciate all my words. I'll make sure that I'm not doing like run on sentences. So things like that. Dressing, I don't really pay attention to that much anymore. But I do notice when I do go somewhere and I'm like, oh, like someone's like, you need to dress up. The first thing I think about is slacks and a button up shirt. And I'm like, well, whose idea of professionalism is that? Yeah, I agree. And I do like earlier, the first example you gave was around language and what it means to speak properly, right? Like that's uh, expectation that has been created uh, for us in the using the English language by white culture. Right. And so, like, I just wanted to be clear that because Jeremy and I throughout this episode will be talking a lot about whiteness and what it's like to be black in white spaces, because that's the topic of this episode. And so I want people to be clear about when we say like white culture and whiteness, we're talking about the way that you expect people to dress, the way that you expect them to talk, the way that you expect them to sit 
the way that you expect them to act behaviorally is associated with norms that come from culture that is based on whiteness in America. So I got a question for you, Jeremy. What was the first time you felt like it was really prevalent to you that you felt like a black face in a white space? Come on, Ryan. Um, mm, dropping <laughs> bars, y'all. Hey, and, no. <laughs> and to our audience, too, like as Jeremy and I share our stories, think about when was the first time that you felt like an outsider in the space and what in that space factor or factors caused you to feel like that? Jeremy, I want you to go first. Tell us, like, what was that first time where you was like, damn, I'm the blackest person in the room? Yes. So once again, I said it in a previous episode, so I'm not going to go in detail for time-wise. But last year, uh, an instructor had told me, had called me out about a piece that was shown from a black female. And that was the first time I was like, damn, like, I am a black person speaking on these issues. And I've been, I read three books over my spring break. So I'm super pumped now that I have more knowledge to be aware of these things. But I will talk about a recent one that I wish I would have known is that we, another piece was shown about blackness. And this instructor, once again, has said, if we can refrain from talking like this to each other and blah, 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 like, so that's called, uh, tone policing, right? Or policing mm -hmm. tone. So she was yeah. setting up how to talk and how to make her feel comfortable. So that was another time I was like, dang, like, and, I, and it gets annoying because when I talk, it comes off as I'm angry. I'm like, I'm really not mad. This is just how I speak, you know? So those are yeah. the two incidents right now that I've really noticed. Like for me, I, I think back to New Mexico State University as well, because I don't know if y'all know, but Jeremy and I attended the same college. That's how we know each other. And I remember freshman year because I grew up in Omaha Nebraska in North Omaha which was around like lots of black people and my family and in our high school like it was always people that looked like me around in our spaces and I remember when I got to New Mexico State my first semester I took a social work class and it was a lecture style class old white male professor it's about 127 students, I think, in the class. And we was talking about the cultural bias that happens in standardized testing. Mm. And I was sitting in there, and I promise you, it might have been me and another person of color in that room. And he was like, you know, he was like, he was trying to relate to us, but he totally made us look like the idiots in the class. Because what he did was he said... <laughs> You know, he was like, we create these tests and expect people of color, especially black people, to do well. And we don't realize the cultural bias that's in that test. The class went silent. So I immediately knew everybody was uncomfortable. Then he says, y'all, I mean, what if I put a question that said, how much water do you put in a pot of greens? Or how much grease does it take to fry chicken? He said that shit. And I set up. And when I tell you, have y'all ever seen like the movies like Pleasantville or like where everybody turns around and looks at somebody in sync and doesn't say shit. And it's <laughs> right. like a Twilight Zone moment. That's how I felt. Like the whole class, like nobody said anything. Everybody just turned around and looked at me. And I was sitting there and I was like, that was really racist of you to say. Like, that's the only thing that we know. I was right. like, I, I, I appreciate where you tried to go. But I don't appreciate the route that you took to get there. Mm -hmm. And so, like, at that time, you know, I was a freshman in college. I didn't really have the words to say to him that that was really racist. All I knew is that I felt extremely uncomfortable. And that was the first time I felt like I was like, damn, I'm a black face in a white space. And it's so prevalent in moments like that. And so I think about, 
you know, in throughout education, as I attended New Mexico State, because I got all of my degrees there, y'all, that was just so constant. And I mean, even when I was in black programs, that was my comfort like that was my place of comfort because everybody in there either had relatable experiences or similar cultural backgrounds. Mm -hmm. And I just, I couldn't believe that that man said that with such a straight face and the class was silent the rest of the class. Yeah. That's awkward. And you know, it's interesting. I'm just going to throw this in there. It's because that just happened to be the first time I realized I was, and I'm using quotations because I always known I was black. Like we know we're black. But it's interesting once you open your eyes or you become aware, or open your third eye, whatever y'all want to use. <laughs> when you look back and you're like, hold up, this happened to me in this space. But now that I'm aware of it, you know what I mean? So I was only aware because last, I mean, I've been on this journey now of blackness for about three or four years. But that's the first time I really noticed. Yeah. Because actually in the social work class, I took one with uh, one of my friends, Adriana Williams, and her cousin, Tony Chanman. And we were the only black people in there. And the teacher was a white female. And I remember we were talking, somehow race had got brought up. And she looked at all of us and we were just like, because we were confused. We were like, why is she looking at us? She said it was something about blackness. And then she looked at us. And of course, like when you're not on this, I'm not for, for everyone, but for me, when I wasn't on this, I don't want to call it a journey. When I wasn't aware, you just laugh it off because one, we're kind of taught that, right? Like I just kind of like laughed it off like, uh-huh. Or like when you are the only black man, like you're the joke, you're the this, you're, you know? So I was just like, oh, maybe she just looked at us. Because, you know, until you start realizing, like, these microaggressions and all that, I'm like, hold up. That's why I I try not to call out every single one because it does get exhausting. But sometimes I'm like, look, I can't. I can't. Yeah. And I think that it is a journey. Like, you hesitate to call it a journey. But I think that finding our blackness and our Africanness is a journey because our history didn't start here. Right. And so in order for us to find out, figure out who we are and how we exist and how we contribute to the world, it takes us to go on a journey of one, retracing our history here, but also our ancestral history and just the essence of blackness because it's so much there that we don't learn about. Like the absence of us in our history books, in our math books, et cetera, makes us go on a journey to figure out who we are because that information is not always, not wasn't, especially at that time for me, as accessible to us as it is to some other cultures. You know, so I, I, I do feel like I've been on a journey, even at 37, of thinking about blackness and what it means to me and how I live authentically in it all the time because of how much punishment I face for being my authentic self and not having the consciousness to realize that that was related to my blackness. With that being said, Jeremy, like, what do you think it is about like the spaces that you are in where you are the only or especially the minority? How have those contributed to your blackness or taken away from it? Well, I'm out here fighting. <laughs> yes, and yes, you are. I'm not lying. <laughs> Um, so I will go into education. I am an educator, right? That is my job. That is my field. And I teach hip hop and it's taking away because I see these other people who are going around teaching our, our history. And I'm like, but are you teaching it correctly? And are you truly the correct face to be doing this? And my answer will be no. My answer will be no. As far as now, if you were a white face or a white person talking to a predominantly white space because obviously we tend to listen to people who look like us that's different i can i can go there with that but when it comes to history i'm like you're getting paid for teaching my life and you're not even starting from the correct place yeah so me teaching i i'm reading a book uh, by trisha rose called hip-hop wars mm. and it's talking about how hip-hop if it's hurting america if it's hurting black culture where's it come from you know all that and 
you know, demeaning women and homophobia. I'm like, okay, yeah, like we can work on some things. We definitely can. But I noticed that I have three people in my class who identify as black or blackness or having Africanness. I'm not going to say they're into it more than anyone because there are other people who are definitely into it. But I'll say some of the class is uncomfortable. And then then I have to, then I start looking at myself as an educator and I'm like, okay, am I forcing this on people? And I have to tell myself, no, this is history. Because if this was a ballet class, y'all be learning about, you'll go learn about ballet. If this was a dance sport class, you'll be go learning about ballroom and blah, blah, blah. If this is modern, you go learn about all that. So I was like, no, like I'm not. So as far as when your, your question, talking about taking away from blackness, I feel like I almost start taking away from myself for my learners to be comfortable. Yeah. And I do think that like that is a factor that differentiates cultural appropriation from cultural appreciation. Right. Because when you can go back and look at the history of a culture and you know it and you respect it and you understand how to pay homage to it, that's different than just imitating it in order for the purpose of a trend to build your own popularity. You know, so it's like know the difference between factors like what Jeremy just laid out for y'all between cultural appreciation and cultural appropriation. Definitely. So, yeah, that's my sorry. That's been my journey for uh, this semester because the first time I've ever introduced black history. Mm. And like, as this being the first time that you've introduced it, have you seen a difference either in you or in the way that students approach your course? Uh, yes. And both, right? Because I learn more from my learners than they learn from me, right? I learn how to address them, you know, and I spoke to you about one of my learners who I had, we got into it kind of, and you were like, well, maybe this. And I was like, I was like, I thought about that, but I didn't think about it, right? It just crossed yeah. my mind. I'm so quick to like dismiss that because I'm like, no, you're going to get this black history <laughs> all year. <No. laughs> Every day in your face. <laughs> so I, uh, yeah, but I've, I, they journal about it and it's, it's beautiful to witness what they're saying and it doesn't feel like it's fake. Like they're really starting to understand like, oh, hip hop is not doing this. And they're, they're starting to notice like how hip hop is connected to black culture and that it gets this negative connotation and then that gets put onto black people. And so, cause I just graded some of their assignments today and it's just beautiful to witness that, you know? Yeah. And I also have to check myself. Like, I'm like, this is beautiful because I'm not forcing it on them. And that's not my, that's not my role. And that's not what I want to do. So just like you said, it's just appreciation. Right. And it yeah. also just acculturation, which is the trading of, right. Like there mm-hmm. can be this trade of cultures. Cause now I have some of my Latin, or Hispanic students, whatever they identify as, relating how Latin culture, they're noticing the similarities. So I'm finding that very beautiful to witness. Yeah, and you know, I think music and dance, like there's this interconnectedness that is related to expression. And we choose to do that differently. Depending on the culture that you are from, you have cultural norms around behavior and expression. And our people, I think, don't realize how much that translates into art and what it is that we do. For me, when I'm teaching like diversity workshops or I'm working with the company, because y'all know I own a company that specializes in diversity, equity, and inclusion. I'm CEO of two companies that do that. And I think that what I see daily are human beings when they go on that journey of creating awareness is usually met with resistance, hesitation, or openness, right? And sometimes it is hesitation can be a result of resistance. And so there's like, those things intermingle and I see human beings going on this journey with me. Cause often when I'm in companies and I'm doing training 
or I'm working with teams, we do it for over an extended period of time. And it's hard because I'm a black face and usually companies that call me, call me because something is wrong. So I'm going into spaces to help fix things like discrimination or oppression that are happening to people. And as a black woman in those spaces, I have to work twice as hard to build the credibility for people to listen to me, right? And that does require me to go on a journey with them of meeting them where they are. Because most human beings that call me in are not in the same space with diversity, equity, and inclusion as I am. And I have to take them on a journey to get them there. And along the journey, there's always resistance, there's denial, there's consciousness. I mean, all of these things come into play, right? And so, but I'm always aware of how black I am in those spaces, especially to other people. Mm. because people show up differently when I walk in the room. There are times we have companies where I do have to be intentional about sending a white consultant into that company Mm. because it's so toxic that I don't want to put a person of color in harm's way. Mm -hmm. And so like, and people are much more likely to relate to people that look like them. That happens in our professional and our personal spaces. And so I'm always hyper aware and sensitive and being attentive to those things about how, I show up in companies and how people show up because it could make or break the outcomes that I create for a DEI process, which is the diversity, equity, and inclusion process. So when y'all hear me say DEI, that's what that means. Yeah. Do you want to each share a moment of resistance? From myself or from somebody else? Oh, okay. Sorry. (laughs) I didn't even think about that for, oh, uh, I was really talking about from somebody else, but I really do like from yourself as well. So, okay. So I think resistance for me has shown up when I feel like I'm under attack. Um, And that makes me empathetic to people. I was in a meeting once and I was the, I'm the, I was the youngest person in the meeting and one of the only women in the meeting. And so I, the men in the room constantly interrupted me. And it is a scientific fact that men are more likely to interrupt women in conversations. It happens frequently Even when you call the asses out on it, they don't stop. So I remember that this lady was giving a recommendation on how to fix something in DEI. And I was already so pissed off and I felt like I was under attack and not comfortable that I was like, no, I don't want to (laughs) hear shit about what you got to say. Like, no, that will not work. I didn't even give it a second thought. Y'all, I was resistant because I was, I felt like. I had been invalidated and that created resistance for me. My resistance does happen with other people who aren't black, but I, I say as an empath because usually I know what someone else is going to say. I don't mean that in a cocky way, but usually I'm like, I already put myself in your shoes. I know what you're going to say, but you're not listening to what I'm saying. My resistance comes when I feel like I'm the only one speaking up mm. as far as if there are other black people or people mixed with black and no one else is saying anything. I'm like, did y'all just put me, let me, you know, walk out here. Yeah. Put my neck, you know, put my neck out here to get chopped off. And I'm like, that's when. So mine's, I would say mine's internal, obviously internal for me, but also I mean internal, like community wise. Because uh, I mean, yes, it's nice when somebody else who's not your, uh, in your culture or of your race speaking up, but it's like, yeah, that's cool. But I feel like it's a little bit stronger when I have more black people speaking with me. You know what I mean? Because I feel like I'm the only one saying stuff sometimes. And then I'm like, I look wild, you know? I look like I'm looking for these issues. I'm like, if you would just say yes, with me, you know, but then I have to remember that they are on their own journey because that recently just happened with uh, two, three other students who are black and we went back to the room and we were discussing and they told me they're like, we just don't have the words. I was like, shit, Mm. I never thought of that. And just so we clear y'all, resistance does not have to be verbal, right? So resistance can show up 
both verbally and non-verbally. It could show up in silence and somebody completely refusing to engage. That's resistance, right? Resistance could be something verbal. Resistance could be a newspaper ad. Like there are multiple forms of resistance and not just in a verbal disagreement with a human being. So what about, I'll let you go first this time then. What about with, uh, from other people? All the time. All the damn time. <laughs> like, honestly, that's not, or not all the time, but it's really not really an exaggeration, I would say either. Usually if I, well, one, it's funny because I, right now I'm wearing a melanin apparel shirt and it says melanin American. And when I wear these, these shirts that promote blackness in a happy way and this positive light, <laughs> it's so funny. I mean, I don't care because, you know, I feel like a baddie when I'm walking anyways, but people look at my shirts and it's so funny when they read it, like how upset they get. Right. <laughs> Cause they can't hide it. Like, it's so funny because like our face, I mean, it's right there. You know what I mean? I would say resistance with that definitely just from wearing, you know, these black shirts and then resistance from the thing is because I don't hear it to my face. I hear it because people who do have my back come back and tell me. And they're like, hey, this teacher said this. And I'm like, damn, bitch. Like, and I mean that. Like, shit, you could have said it to my face. Because then how are we going to, maybe we won't ever come to an agreement. But you saying it behind my back, like, oh, I don't understand why he's doing this. Well, you saying it to white people or people who aren't black or people who aren't going to say anything, you're not going to get your answer, right. my love. Come ask me. And I promise you, I'll tell you the, the truth and nothing but the truth. Mm, so help me. Yes. Universe. <laughs> Buddha, yeah. God, anybody. Whatever you believe in. <laughs> even if it's yourself, hell. So my resistance is definitely with my with my passion of choreography talking about black lives. That's where I get resistance from. From yeah. my uh from my peers. And yes. For me too, just like when you say all the time, that really resonated with me because re I do diversity work and people resist that all the time because they don't understand that diversity involves us all, right? Like mm. it's not just saying that oh, you only need people of color, you only need black people, you only mm -hmm. need women. Like, no, it's just saying that they have a right to be there just as much as you do, you know? And so, like, I get hateful emails, y'all. People send me emails calling me nigger. People will go on my YouTube channel and write racist comments. I have to turn those off. I have resistance shows up for me even when I'm in businesses and I'm doing assessments, people will write racist comments um, or they'll say things like, just because I'm white doesn't mean I'm racist. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, it does. <laughs> and the fact that you denied it is, is why you're racist. <laughs> you know, don't get me started on the difference between racist and racism because I've been going back and forth about when people are like, I'm not racist. I'm like, do you know that racism has four different levels? Like, you could be individually racist and not be institutionally racist, but you still racist. Right. Um, just because you ain't perpetuating racism don't mean you ain't, you know what I'm saying, a racist. So, interesting enough, that uh, that is very prevalent in my everyday. I, I, I'm grateful, though, that I deal with more acceptance than I do resistance. But when resistance shows up, it's usually very hateful and very ugly. Mm-hmm. Um, and for all y'all that doing that shit and deciding to listen to my podcast, fuck y'all. That's how I feel about y'all. All y'all that's writing those racist, ignorant ass comments on my Twitter, on my Facebook, etc. All right, the time has come for us to get down with y'all for Mela News. So what Mela News is, is a small section of our podcast where Jeremy and I talk about different topics that relate to uh, blackness in the community in different communities and we will usually say we're here for it 
or we're over it. Now, here for it means I'm here for it. I want to talk about it. Over it also means I'm over it. I don't really want you to do with it, but I'm also going to talk about it. So either way it goes, whether we're here for it or over it, we're going to tell y'all why. Okay. So with that being said, let's let's get started with number one. All right. So the first one is Brittany Stevens or Stephens. Who knows how to pronounce that? Uh, 20 years old was arrested by a Baton Rouge police on February 27th in the connection to the October 12th, 2017 accident. So what happened was this police officer and her got into a collision, a very bad collision. She was injured and her daughter was also injured and ended up passing away. Uh, she got in trouble for it because they said that her she didn't strap down the car seat. I'm here for it. How many times are we going to do this to people of color, but especially black women? I mean, I, it happens to our community in general, right? But I just, I'm, I really notice with black women, like, they get blamed. I'm like, how, how is it her fault? I'm, I'm here for it, but I also did, like, I'm here for it because they charged her with murder of her own child, even though that officer ran his Corvette into her car, and that's wrong. I also did, like, in the back of my mind, you know, I was thinking, why didn't she strap down the car seat? So I don't think she should have been charged with murder, though. I definitely I'm here for it because, like Jeremy said, there is a disproportionality when it comes to crimes, especially for black women and men who are accused in our in our uh, criminal system. And so I just I was so disheartened to see that they were charging her with murder um, and he was the one who hit her goddamn car. Uh, so I guess I guess a little bit of fault for the fact that she just strapped the baby down in the car seat. But I also I think more of the fault is his than hers. I'm here for that. All right. Serena Williams is giving money. She teamed up with Bumble in order to fund women of color in startups. So she is investing her money in order to help with black or women of color entrepreneurs get funding. And people are calling her racist for her trouble. I'm here for it. I am so tired of people talking shit about all of these different VCs that are geared towards women of color and people of color and helping entrepreneurs to raise funding because truth be told women receive less than 2% of funding from venture capitalists every year. Right. That's so on average y'all. So it's 98% of investor money goes to men, not to mention that black women are less than 1% receive less than 1% of that funding. And so for people who are trying to level the playing field and not take away from the benefits that you have. They are leveling the playing field. They are trying to undo racism, not perpetuate it. So I'm here for that shit. Well, with that being said, <laughs> I don't have a choice. No, joking. Um, I'm here for it. And you care, You really covered it all, honestly. <laughs> okay. So, <laughs> I'm passionate about that topic, y'all. I'm an entrepreneur. <laughs> all right. The next one is Antoine Rose. He was an unarmed black teen shot by Officer Michael Ross fled in Pittsburgh. So there's two, actually two stories to this. One, I, was, I say obviously because it always happens. He's free. He's, you know, he's good. Um, they didn't charge him with anything. Uh, the second part of this is after that, his office was struck with bullets. And I guess that's under investigation right now, or maybe they did figure it out. I haven't looked into it, but that did happen. I will say that I'm over it as far as like, it's just... A time again and again and again and again and again and again and again. Like, I mean, at this point, I mean, I had heard about it and I was like, well, yeah, he's going to get free. Like, we already know that. There's no point. Like, he's going to get free. So that's why I'm over it. 
everything that you said, I'm over it. I'm upset. I mean, actually, I mean, I'm over it. The fact that cops keep getting away with killing young black men, especially. And I'm here for uh, racism like that and injustice that happens in the system. And I like told Jeremy when we was first talking about this, I'm be here for this shit until it stops. You know, I'm, I'm here for it in that regard. Yes. I, I don't want to say I'm here for the bullets, though. Yeah, or over it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm not touching that. I'm not touching that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, all right, next. Is the University of Georgia expelled four students from a fraternity right from a racist video that surfaced? Uh, something about picking my cotton. I'm not black. You're using that. Wait, you're not using the right words. Racial slurs? Yes. So, Tal Kappa somebody, TKE, Epsilon. So they were, there was a film that hasn't been released yet to the news or to the media, but the school has it and they were recording and they had a belt and they were whipping another student that was under some blankets and he was saying, pick my cotton. And the response from the person under the blanket was, or the sheets was saying, I'm not black. And the person was like, well, you're not using the right words. And then you could hear racial slurs being said. Uh, yeah. Okay. I'm I, I'm over that shit. I'm sorry. I'm not sorry. I'm over that shit. And I'm not sorry. I am so sick of seeing fraternities and people doing racist shit with videos and wearing blackface and thinking that that shit is funny when you know it's better. When I mean, when you know better. So I'm over that. I don't even want to give it no more of my energy or time. <laughs> I'm going to say I'm over it too. It's bullshit. Yeah, it's just bullshit. Like Cheryl said, like it's it's one of the it's one of those things that just keeps happening. Like you know it's not funny. Yeah. Or maybe you think it's really oh, they might really think it's funny. Shit, actually, I don't know. But it ain't funny. Right. So over it. And expel yeah. the assets. And they shouldn't be able to go back to the university, but that's just doing too much. So whatever. Yeah, yeah. I know I agree. I'm like, what is the punishment that fits the crime? You know what I'm saying? Like, I just I'm like, should they be expelled from school? Yeah, I think a punishment should be instituted. I just still haven't figured out what that shit is. I'm just, I'm over people doing it though, but I am happy that they get kicked out of school. I'm just, I'm sorry. I'm not sorry. Sorry, not sorry. Period. All right. All right, everyone. This has been Melanated News with Jeremy J. Edmondson and Dr. CI. <laughs> all right. I hope that we got y'all all the way together. Please be on the lookout for more things being posted. We're going to get more involved. We want y'all to start saying if you're here for it or over it, we're going to start posting things where you can vote on that and even give your explanation. You can tune in with us next week as we talk about pro-blackness does not mean anti-other racist. Yes, yes. We will see y'all next week. Y'all have a blessed one and take care of yourselves and others. Be well. Good night. Thank you for tuning in to Melanated Diaries, a space where we get together to get you all the way together. Come back with us next week as we reflect on a new topic. I'm Cheryl. And I'm Jeremy. Love y'all. Hunty, good day.